You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. All right, we read a verse to start off last week in this portion of Scripture, but we're going to backtrack a little bit from that verse, and we're going to read the context of what's going on here. This is a depiction of the Lord Jesus' return. So let's start in verse 35, Luke 12, verse 35. Let your loins be girded about and your light burning. What's Jesus saying there? Be ready. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about when he returns to take his bride away and we are gathered up in the air with him and he takes us to heaven. When he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Are we watching? Are we anticipating? Are we preparing ourselves as the good servants of our master, so that when the Lord comes, we're ready for him. Verse 38. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. Now, it was customary for the Jews to have their night watches among their servants split up into three parts. The first hour, second hour, third hour, and that's what they're talking about here, okay? So obviously the first hour would be the earliest, second would be the second, latest, whatever hours that is. I don't know, and the third would be the latest hours of the night. So what Jesus is kind of saying here is, listen... You don't, know what hour, you don't know what hour, right? The Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour when the Lord's going to return. So no matter what hour it is, even though we don't know, we need to be ready. 39. And this know that if the good man, which would have been the steward, and this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, the Bible says, no, the, the, Bible says the rapture will come as a thief in the night. Know what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when ye think not. Are we ready for the return of the Christ? Are we ready that if today we were raptured, if today we were to stand before the Lord, if today was the judgment, would we be ready to meet the Lord? Would he be able to tell us, well done, my good and faithful servants? Verse Verse 41, then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, whom then? And this is the verse we started off with last week. Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord, when he shall make ruler, who his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them the portion of meat in due season? Revelation twenty-two twelve says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. When Christ returns, will we be able to be rewarded for our faithfulness? Will we be proud of what we've done for Christ? Or will we stand there ashamed, realizing that, listen, it's, it's over. My life is gone. The time that I had to serve Christ, I squandered it. Our chance at that time is over. All right, let's have a word of prayer. 
Our dearest Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord, that you've given us. Thank you for the snow outside. Thank you, Lord, that even though it's cold, that we live in a um, state that has a change of seasons like it does, Lord. It's, it's, it's refreshing to have a change of seasons here and there, Lord, and just a change of scenery. So thank you for the snow. Thank you for your creation, Father. Thank you for this time that we can come in and freely worship you in this house today. I just pray that you would... Give us wisdom and direction as we look into your word here, Lord. Teach us what you would have us to learn and just be with my words. Help them to be your words. And we just ask this in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's do a little bit of review of what we went through last week real quick. First, in order to be a steward, we must be what? Faithful. Were you even here last week, Joe? I don't think you... You was? Okay. All right. In order to be a steward, we have to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. God's perfect plan of stewardship, number two, God's perfect plan of stewardship was implemented all the way back in the garden when he put Adam in it to dress it and keep it, right? Number three, even every time we give in to Satan's temptations, we are stepping out of our stewardship role. Number four, God gave us our stewardship role as an umbrella of protection to protect us from our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That umbrella of stewardship, of staying under that umbrella of that stewardship role, protects us from being, being overcome, if you remember, like I said, being overcome with worldly things. Five, the three base facts of stewardship. First, God is owner of everything, which includes every part of our life. Second, we were created by God, for God. And third, we have a mission, which is spreading the gospel and making disciples. Six, and this is the last one before we get into this week, we started looking at the seven areas of stewardship that the Lord gave me. I'm sure there's many, many more, but I believe that a lot of the areas of stewardship can be combined, combined into these seven areas. Seven areas of stewardship, of which we got through three, and we're going to start on the fourth one right now. So number four, God calls us to be stewards of our testimonies. Uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verse 15. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer, to testify. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are we taking every opportunity available to us to testify for the Lord? Are we using our words as a testimony to testify of the goodness of God? Are we using them to defend the honor of God? Are we using them to share the love of God? Last week, Pastor talked about the tongue, right? And I did have this all prepared before he spoke last week. So anyhow, last week he talked about the tongue, all right? What kind of testimony do we have based on the words that we speak? Psalms 19.14, this is what David said. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? That's my prayer. That's my desire. Every morning when I come before the Lord in my devotions, I say, Lord, help me to say and do what you would have me to say and do today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Do you desire to have your words be only the words that Christ would have you to speak? Not only 
Are we to be good stewards of our testimony for Christ in our words, but we are to be a good testimony, we are to be a good steward of our testimony for Christ in our lifestyle as well? Can our lifestyle speak volumes? Yes. I would say our lifestyle speaks. The Bible says that, you know, what's in your heart will come out in your mouth, which is definitely true. But the same is true by the way that you live, right? Your lifestyle reflects what you really believe. By their fruit, ye will know them. That's what the Bible says. By their fruit, ye will know them. We have all heard of the saying, actions speak louder than words. If we really love the Lord, our actions will show it, not just our words. And this makes me think back to the story of Jesus talking to Peter there on the shoreline. And he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, okay, but Peter, do you love me? Peter, you know. Or Peter says, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know, after each one of those questions, Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. The third time, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And at that moment, Peter's heart was convicted because he realized that just saying it wasn't enough. Jesus was saying, Listen, Peter, if you love me, I don't just want you to sit here and tell me that you love me. That's easy. Peter, if you love me, go show me that you love me. And did Peter show Christ that he loved him? Absolutely. He died, he died a martyr's death. Peter, from that moment on, lived for God and showed God and proved his love for God. And that's what God's asking us to do. God's saying, listen, don't just say that you love me. I want you to prove it with your life. Philippians 2, 12 through 15. Actually, turn there. Philippians 2, 2, 12 through 15. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. We're going to kind of dissect this portion of Scripture little by little. Let me give you a little bit of what the dictionary says about testimony as you're turning there. I skipped over this part, but we're going to go back while you're turning there. The dictionary defines testimony as a declaration or an affirmation made for the purpose of proving some fact. When we all get together and we all have, we have a night of testimony like we did for Thanksgiving just a few weeks ago, what are we testifying about? We're testifying about the goodness of God, right? We are sharing those testimonies to affirm the fact that God is good. That is what our testimonies are to do. Our testimonies are to affirm to the world and to others our belief in Christ and the scriptures. That is what our testimonies are to do in our words and in our actions. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved brethren... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Work out your own salvation. We are to be having a working salvation. We are to continually be working on bettering ourselves for effective 
Christian service. Okay? So our salvation is to be a working salvation. It's not to be a salvation where we just get saved and we don't take the next step in our Christian walk, right? That's staying babes in Christ. Okay? Paul said we need to desire the, not just the milk of the word, but the meat, right? We're supposed to be growing day by day. God doesn't save us to just do nothing for him. God saves us to grow and continue to serve more and more. We're not just supposed to go about our daily lives just as we always did. When Christ saves us, there should be a change. There should be a difference. We should start living for him. We should start serving him. Our life should be structured differently. It should be structured not around what we want now, but around what Christ wants. A working salvation. Work out your salvation. Next it says, your salvation. Now, what this says to me when it says your salvation is it's, when I read that, what it spoke to me was, listen, you're supposed to be worried about you, okay? Work out your salvation. Don't be working out everybody else's salvation, right? Everyone else is accountable before God. When you stand at the judgment someday, who are you going to give an account for? Your neighbor? I think not, right? You're going to give an account for yourself. You're going to account for all those things that you do. You know, we're so quick to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ and the things that they're doing. We want to look down upon them. We want to lift ourselves up in pride and think that we're somehow better. We're somehow doing, you know, better in our Christian walk because we're not doing what they're doing, but we're doing this. No, that's working out their salvation. We're supposed to be concerned about ourselves, what we're doing for God. Where we are, where are our hearts with God, not where are their hearts. Work out your own salvation. The next part says, with fear and trembling. There is only one thing the Bible tells us to fear, and that is what? That is the Lord. We are only to fear God. Most of us do not have a healthy fear of God like we should. We just don't. That's just a fact. We just do, we do not fear God like we should. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we, were, if we were all honest, a lot of times we're kind of stupid, right? We are not wise. We are stupid when it comes to us obeying the Lord. We do not fear his judgments. Psalm 119.120, you know, the more that I live and the more that I read the Bible, the more that I read what David wrote, the more I understand why he was a man after God's own heart. He says here in Psalm 119, 120, My flesh trembleth. When you tremble, you're terrified, okay? You don't just tremble because something gave you a little fright, okay? You tremble when you are terrified. David was terrified of God. Why? Why was David terrified of God? The second part of that verse says, I am afraid of thy judgments. When is our fear of the Lord going to kick in and we realize that we reap what we sow? Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Having a fear of God is understanding that all power is given unto him, okay? He has all power to give and take away in 
every single area of our life. And he will do that according to how we live our life. Do we have the fear of God like we should? Verse 13. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Both to will and to do. God is trying to work in our hearts, not only to give us the will to do what is right, but to get us to act on that will. This is working out our salvation. Now, it's, is it awesome, is it wonderful, and is it important to have a desire to do what is right? Yes. First, you have to have a desire. You're probably not going to do what's right unless you have a desire to do what is right. So is it important to have that will, to have that desire to follow the Lord, to do what is right, to obey God? Yes, that is essential. You have to have that. That is so important. But it's not just having a desire. It's acting upon that desire. It's not enough just to want to obey. It's not enough just to want to do what the Lord wants you to do. It's not just enough to want to have the same will as God wants, we have to obey. We have to do. Not only do we need to have the will, but we need to do that will. The next part says, of his good pleasure. It is for God's pleasure that he, is, that he works on conforming us into the image of his son. God is trying to get our hearts to a point where we please him with our lives. God isn't just working on us for our pleasure or for his pleasure. Excuse me. God is working on us for our pleasure as well. Okay? When are you going to be the absolute happiest? When you are in the center of God's will. God is working on us for his pleasure, yes, so we can bring him the most honor and glory through our lives. But also, he knows that we are going to be the happiest and the most joyful when we are in the center of his will. So he's working on us for our benefit. That's why I said last week that everything that comes into our life, that everything God allows to happen is for our good. He's doing it to refine us, right? To purify us, to get us to that point where we are in the center of his will every day. Of his good pleasure. John 10.10 10 says, I am come that ye may have life, and the, that ye may have it, what? More abundantly. Not just, he could have just said abundantly, but he said more abundantly. That overflowing life of abundancy. That is what God has come to give us. In verse 14, Paul lists a couple of these things that will, great, lists a couple of things that will greatly damage our testimony. Let's look at verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That is complaining and arguing. You know, they seem like two very childish things, but something that a lot of adults struggle with, right? <laughs> so maybe more complaining than arguing adults struggle with, but I know a lot of adults that, you know, are, like to, they like to argue. Do you know those people that just like to argue about everything that you're talking about? They're just, it's like they have a need to debate everything. 
You know, they just, they just, they can't help themselves. They just have to, it's like, it's like, no matter if they know that they're wrong, they just need to get a different point across than what you're trying to get across. And they, they find pleasure in trying to convince themselves and you of, of something just so they can debate it. It's, it's, it's funny, but um, Paul says, don't do that. Listen, that is so damaging to be, to be a complainer and, and to be disputing all the time. That is so damaging to your testimony. I don't think, obviously, it was a mistake that Paul put these two things in here. I think these are two of the greatest things that the devil wants to try to use to damage our testimony to the world and to to others. Complaining and arguing are two things that do great damage to our testimony and and our effectiveness for Christ. Whether you are a believer or you're an unbeliever, nobody wants to be around somebody who's a complainer or who wants to argue all the time. Nobody our attitude in life is something that can greatly influence us. Our attitude in life is something that can greatly influence others towards Christ or away from Christ. Just our attitude. 2 Corinthians 6.3 says, Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Can our attitude of complaining and being argumentative be used to bring blame to the ministry? Yes, absolutely. Are we, in any area of our life, bringing blame on Christ and his church through our lifestyle, or are we lifting up and exalting, showing the world what a difference God has made in us? Or, do, or, or, or does the world see a difference? Or are we just the same? There should be a difference. Complaining when you break it down is just discontentment. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I know the Bible says with food and raiment to be what? Content, right. If we have Jesus Christ in our heart, do we have any reason at all ever to be discontented about anything? Absolutely not. Why? Because even if we don't have any food, even if we don't have any clothes, and we die, where's eternity going to be spent? It's going to be spent with the Lord, right? You can't get better than that. There really is no reason for a Christian for, for any purpose, even if you don't have food or clothes, there's really no reason ever to be discontent because you have the Lord. You have an eternal home in heaven with him. Even if this world can't give you what you need to survive, guess what? You'll be at home, you'll be at home with, with Jesus. Nothing to complain about. We are so blessed here in America, it's, it's ridiculous. We don't even know what suffering is. You know, for those of us who have gone to the Philippines or gone to a third world country, we've seen suffering. We've seen people who are actually suffering. We don't suffer. (laughs) We think we suffer. We don't ever suffer. Those people are suffering. And what's amazing is they always got a smile on their face, especially in the Philippines. Isn't that amazing? They've always got a smile on their face. They're always asking you to come in, offering what little food and drink that they have to you, being so welcoming, you know? They have learned how to be content. You know, they don't have all these worldly things that we have. You know, it seems like the more stuff you have, the more discontent you get. 
<laughs> you know, isn't that the way it works? Absolutely. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you want. They have so little, but yet they're so content. We need to learn from their example. Arguing. By arguing, even if you win the argument, you've probably lost your testimony in the process. We can calmly discuss things with people without turning it into an argument. This is especially true when discussing spiritual things. It's counterproductive, right, to discuss something spiritual and lose your testimony over the whole thing. That's like working backwards there. So we're not always all going to agree on everything, are we? That's just not going to happen. I wish it would. That would be amazing. That would be so awesome if we all agreed on everything. If we all had perfect understanding of the scriptures and there we all agreed on everything, that would be amazing, but that's never going to happen. So, you know, my point in saying that is, listen, when somebody is trying to talk to you about something, especially on spiritual things, something from the scripture, don't just shut them down. You know, listen to what they have to say. Maybe there's, some, maybe there's an element of truth to what they're trying to get across to you. Maybe there's an element of truth to what they're trying to bring to you. You know, sometimes there is an element of truth. Like, they're kind of off base as a whole, but there is an element of truth in what they're saying that you haven't seen before. So what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to do what the Bible says and search the scriptures, right? Search the scriptures to see if these things are true. But don't just shut them down. And definitely don't argue about it. That's, that's, that's wrong. That's spiritually immature. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom, among whom ye shine as lights in this world. Are we blameless and are we harmless? The first, the first part of that says, that ye may be blameless and harmless. Are we blameless and harmless? Blameless. Are we blameless, or can people use our life to justify their skepticism towards Christianity? Because they don't see any difference in us from them. Are we blameless? Harmless. Are we tender? Are we loving? Are we compassionate as Jesus was? Are we harmless? Without rebuke. Is our lives a good representation of Christ? Or are there things in our life that can be rebuked and corrected? All of these things are questions that we need to ask ourselves when considering, are we good stewards of our testimonies for Christ? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That goes without saying. Never has our nation been more crooked or more perverse. Never has there been more crooks in places of power, both politically and non-politically. I mean, our nation is ran by a bunch of crooks right now. It just is. Okay? There is a bunch of crooks in Washington. Okay? Not only are there crooks in Washington, but we morally are more perverted than we've ever been before. I mean, just the moral perversion in America is staggering. If we even go back 10 years, some of the things that have happened today, we would never have imagined it. We wouldn't have believed it if one of us were to go back 10 years and tell yourself, listen, this is what's going to happen. You'd be like, no way. There's no way that we're going to legalize gay marriage in America. That's just absurd. There's no way that we're going to do it. There's no way that we're going to allow guys into girls' bathrooms. 
I mean, that's just absurdity. No one, no one in their right mind would ever do that. There's no way that we're going to ever allow that to happen. But has it happened? Yes, it has happened. I tell you what, I'm not going to go into a store that I can't trust that my wife and my little girls can go into a bathroom and be safe. Never, ever. That is absurd. You know, we have men competing in women competitions because they've had sex changes. I was just reading an article this week, and they asked this guy who had a sex change to a girl, they said, do you think it's unfair that you're competing as a, trans, as a transgender in, this, in these competitions? It was weightlifting competitions, and he's won all kinds of medals, obviously. And, you know, they were asking me this, and he said, no, I don't think it's unfair, and frankly, it's disrespectful to the women that I compete against for you to even say that. What? Just... Right? Pastor's been talking about just blindness. Blindness from Satan. They can't even see the truth. Total and complete blindness. I mean, we are in such a morally perverted country today. It is so important that we are... Well, we'll get into that. Okay, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, it is so important that we do what the next part of that verse says among whom ye shine as lights in this world. The darker the night gets, the brighter our lights should shine. Now, you know, we've heard pastors say, which, you know, he heard from Bill Gothard how the church is here and the world is here and it's just trailing behind. So is our lights getting brighter as the night gets darker or are we just turning down our lights? As the, as the night gets darker. A lot of us, that's what we're doing. We're just, we're conforming, right? We're conforming to this world. We should be transforming as the day goes on, not conforming. We should be turning our lights up, not down. Does our life shine for Christ? Do people notice a difference in us? Does our lifestyle reflect the love of Christ? Or do we blend in with the day-to-day crowd? Are we being wise stewards of our testimonies for Christ? And I cannot believe that point took that long. I have a few other here, and we are going to try to zoom through this because I do not want to spend another week on this. Okay. So, God calls us to be good stewards of our children. Turn to Psalms 127. God calls us to be good stewards of our children. We all know this verse. We all joke about being good stewards of our children and how that they're a blessing because a lot of us don't feel that way. But kids are a blessing. Psalms 127, verse 3 through 5. Lo, children are an heritage or an inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so children are of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Children are a gift from God. It is his inheritance to us, and we are required to train them up in the ways of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Are we being good stewards of our children? Are we taking every available opportunity to train them up 
in the way that they should go. Are we teaching them to pray? Are we teaching them to read God's word? Are we teaching them to have good morals and ethics? Are we teaching them the consequences of sin? Are we teaching them to be loving and compassionate? Are we teaching them to have a biblical worldview? Are we teaching them through what I believe is the most important, especially when they're younger? Are we teaching them through our example? Kids will do what they see their parents do. Okay? It is amazing, especially as Elaine has been growing up and she's been learning to love, to pray, and to talk to God. You know, all the things that, 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 that are my desires that I pray about with her, I've seen them become her desires. I see them become her heartbeat. Okay? All those things that I consider important in my life and that I pray for her so passionately, she's now praying for herself so passionately. My desire has become her desire because I, have, because I have showed her through that example that, listen, this is what's important. Kids will take on what their parents deem as important will become important to them, worldly or spiritual. Five, God called us to be stewards of our bodies. I'm not going to have you turn there for sake of time, but 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, What? Know ye that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Ye are not your own. For ye have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple Ye are. Are we defiling our temple? Okay, listen, we serve a jealous God. God doesn't want to share our temple with the things of this world. Okay? He doesn't want to share a temple with all of our own desires and passions. He wants us to clean out our temple. He wants us to take all those things out of our life that are defiling us. Entertainment, music, whatever it is. Money, possessions, whatever it is, God says, get it out. It's defiling you. If we make those things in our, more important to us and we bring those things into our temple, God will bring destruction in our lives. It's not a maybe, it's a he will. He will bring destruction in our lives if we do not clean out our temples and give him first place. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, that, that, that is the defilement of our temple. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to change our mindset to stop thinking that all these worldly things are just okay. They're not really hurting us that bad. They're not really doing that much to affect me. They are. They're ruining our minds, okay? We need to transform our minds. All right, I'll skip past the rest of that one. Number six, God calls us to be stewards of our friendships. Are we being good stewards of our friendships? Are we choosing the friends that God wants us to have? Are we being good friends to the friends that God has given us? Proverbs 22, 24 through 5 says, Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 
Okay? No matter what your intentions are, we need to be careful not to make good friends with worldly people. Because what normally happens is they will pull us in the direction of the world instead of us pulling them in the direction of Christ. Should we still be friendly? Yes. Am I saying that you can never get together with an unworldly person? Absolutely not. But our intention needs to be to try to help them to bring them back to Christ, okay? We can't just go on our merry way like nothing's different, okay? Don't be good friends with worldly people. They will just drag you down. Being a good friend to our friends. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath a friend must show himself friendly. Proverbs 27.17, Iron iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We need to be the kind of friends that when we get together, we are sharpening each other's spiritual senses so we are more effective for Christ. Are we that kind of friend? Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times. Are you always loving towards your friend? Are you always ready to forgive? Guess what? We're not all perfect. We're going to offend each other. But a good friend is going to forgive another friend, even if that friend doesn't ask for forgiveness, okay? He's going to understand that, listen, we're not all perfect. So a friend, a true friend, will love at all times, no matter what the other friend does to him. Doing unto others what we would have them do unto us. That is a good friend. Twenty Proverbs 27, 9, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Are you one of those friends that your friend can come to and trust that he's going to get good, hearty, godly counsel? And do you have friends that you can go to to get that same thing? If you're not somebody that your friend can come to and get good, hearty, good, hearty, biblical, godly counsel, then you're not a good friend. That is your responsibility to your friend, to be trying to help him in that way. All right. I got a whole bunch of stuff here, but we're not going to go through all of this. I'm just going to say it real quick, and that is to sum up, to sum up biblical stewardship, what it really comes down to is, is are our lives fully surrendered to God? If we are fully surrendered to God, all these areas of stewardship are just going to fall in place. Oh, and it pains me, but we'll stop right there. So let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.